Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 81 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today, September 2nd, 2009, it's game week. And of course, on the podcast, we're going to be talking about San Jose State leading up to the first game of the season for USC. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Uh, we've got a really good show for you. We're going to be talking some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. There's a huge announcement coming today. We will talk about uh, Kyle Prater and uh, the number two wide receiver in the country. So we'll give you the analysis from that. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com deep beat writer Dan Weike about the San Jose State game coming up on Saturday. And we have the coach, Harvey Hyde, in the first segment joining us. Thank you, coach. What's going on? Just about everything. What can I say? Where do you want to start? How much time do I have? <laughs> it's one of those. I say, and then last week, too, you know, my dog didn't get any airtime. Oh, no. And dog's a little upset, so <laughs> she's in the, the in here now taking a little bit of a nap. And at any moment, she's liable to know we're doing the show and jump up and get out of it. You won't believe this. Uh Ryan, last uh, Wednesday night, I spoke at the Rose Bowl, and uh, I was they had the USC coaches uh, Trojans uh, coaches club. Okay. And I don't know if you've been to that or spoke at that or whatever. And uh, I talked to a lot of people there who uh, listen to our broadcast every week. Oh, and, great! And appreciate appreciate uh, what you do uh, with uscfootball.com. And I was sitting at this table, and this guy leaned over at me, and he says. How come you didn't bring your dog? <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say she's here. She's fine. She's ready for the football season. She's missed a little air time, but she may come into the show today. We never know, do we? I know. Well, we'll have to see. It's, a, it's one of those mysteries. We'll see what happens. But you Co- never know. Oh, so big shout out to everyone there you talked to in uh, Pasadena. Hope they all enjoyed that. Um, it's always fun talking to you at those events, Coach. Uh, but I want to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the URL. Or give a call, 1-800-888-7287. Concert, sporting events, theater. Hey, you need tickets for San Jose State? Maybe you're going to Ohio State, all those tickets. SC Tickets got them all. You can check them out if you need tickets for any of the USC games, home or away. And, uh, Coach, we were kind of talking last week. Uh, the first part of the offense, we were breaking down position by position. I think it's our third or fourth week doing. I think it's our fourth week doing the detailed position breakdowns. But it's game week, so we're going to finish up. Uh, we got two groups left. We're going to talk about receivers and tight ends, and then of course we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. So maybe we can uh, start with the receivers first, Coach. And uh, the the big blow, obviously, being Ronald Johnson. I mean, in my opinion, there was two clear. Top, you know, there's top two guys, clear top two guys for the receivers were Damon Williams. And Ronald Johnson, and then a lot of guys kind of fighting for that third and fourth spot. With Ronald Johnson out, I think it opens things up a little bit. It should be a lot more interesting. You think we'll see a lot of shuffling in and out. But just kind of get your thoughts on the receiver position overall. Well, you know, uh, really there have been a couple of shocks this week uh, with uh, Cherie Wright uh, not being eligible and losing Ron Johnson. Here's two starters. Two more starters gone. And I'll tell you, it's uh, amazing how USC can recover from those type of losses of great players, uh, you know, whenever you scrimmage, whenever you go into contact drills, you always have that uh, chance of losing a great player or any player. You don't want to lose any players at all. And he just got sandwiched in between two defensive backs and, and went down and landed wrong. And, uh, and either I forget if they, he dislocated or broke his collarbone or clavicle, but it's one or the other. It's a painful injury because you can't raise your arm up. So it's going to take some time to get him back. And then, again, you know, it's an area where you get hit all the time. So it may be longer than what people are saying, like eight weeks or so on. I don't want to say this, but he might be out the entire season. Wow. He's a, he's a great, great player. And what he brings to USC's offense, along with Williams 
is the deep threat. You've got to have the deep threat. Where defensive backs and, and defensive coordinators are always worried about uh, Johnson or Williams or somebody beating them deep, and especially, you know, against San Jose State, they lose their top two corners uh, in last year's NFL draft or in the NFL now, and you really want to test them, and, and Johnson is one that could test them. But, you know, you can't dwell over that. You've got to move on, like Coach Carroll says and all of his coaches say. But he tell you what, his ulcer this year has bled a lot. It really has with, with the injury to Corp and the injury to all these other players, Armstead, and, you know, it goes on and on and on. But the Trojans are excited about their opening game against San Jose State, and I think the receivers will have to adapt to it. They made some adjustments, obviously. The way I understand it, Williams is going to go over and play X. Osbury's going to come over and be the big receiver at, uh, uh, at uh, not Y, uh, X, Y, Z, yeah, at Z back or the flanker back. Uh, and uh, what you're going to have is you're going to have a, a big receiver over there, almost like a tight end. Doesn't quite have the speed to beat you deep, but he's got, he's got a great physical size to throw to and also to bring him back and block or bring him inside as a wing and block and and doing that type of things with him. Now, it looks like Bryce Butler is going to be the third receiver, and I think he'll do a great job. On most teams, he'd be a starter. I mean, really, just face it. When you look at the scrimmage last Saturday, and I've been telling people this, you know, the scout team that went against the number one offense and defense probably is as good as a lot of teams, not in the conference, but a lot of good possibly, yes, they would be. It would be as as good as a lot of teams in the conference if that was your first unit. You know, when you have more over there and you've got Mark Tyler running running back and Curtis McNeil running uh, running back. And, you know, Garrett Green's a great athlete as a quarterback. Uh, you know, even Asbury ran over on the scout team or the team they call the black jerseys this past Saturday. So, Hey, that's a pretty good team over there. So uh, they've gone against good players. So Butler, Butler's gone against a great secondary in USC secondary, and the receivers at USC should be prepared because they haven't had a light day. Every single day when they line up against the secondary against USC, they're going against great players. I, I like Carswell. You know, I think Carswell can be a great player. I think he'll have his role now with uh, Johnson gone. Uh, Trevan Patterson. Patterson's a burner, smaller receiver, but he has speed, and, and if you want to utilize his speed, you got to play him and try to burn somebody deep. Uh, and then the, this uh, young kid, Devon uh, Flournoy. Flournoy, I yeah. Think as, yeah. I think as he comes along, I think he's going to be a great player. He catches the ball well. Uh, he's going to get in the game. He's got to get hit a couple of times, make a couple of mistakes get corrected, feel comfortable, and I think he'll pick up a lot of places. So I don't mean to leave somebody's name out here. You know, Cameron's another big player that's fighting for a position there. You've got players who could come in and play. But when you lose a a Johnson, let's be realistic, you don't replace a Johnson uh, because he's a Michigan player of the year. He possibly could be a first-round draft choice. I'm not saying he would have been or can he be. Potentially he can be. And it's def- you just don't replace those type of players. So, but others have got to step up, and you got to keep the, the you know the music going. So I think the receivers, you know, this year have got to be physical. They've got to block because I really believe that a lot of the first part of the season, the SC offense have got to prove they can run the football. You've got to run the football to take the pressure off of a freshman quarterback. Not that he can't throw the football, but the defense has got to know you got to stop the run. And then with your play-action passes and the other things you have coming off, your, uh, your running game and so on, it helps Barkley become a better quarterback, and it doesn't put all the pressure on him. So not only am I looking at guys who can be great receivers, I'm looking at people who are great blockers. So when you think of great blockers, you look at David Osbury and you say, hey, this kid's 6'4", 230 pounds or bigger. He'll, he's a complete mismatch on a corner. 
or safety coming down inside. So in some ways, he might be stronger. But you never replace a Ron Johnson regarding the passing game. I think that answers the question. No, no. It's a, it, a lot of good points there, Coach. I think they're, you're going to see USC run the ball, especially early in the season, quite a bit. So, you know, blocking, I think you know, with, with guys fighting for positions, any receiver that shows that he can excel at blocking might get to see more playing time because he'll be, you know, he'll be out there on a lot of those running plays where they might be calling more running plays this year than they have in years past. And, you know, speaking of blocking, Coach, for, for the tight ends, uh, obviously, that's going to be a big part of their game if they're, if USC is going to be running the ball more. But even at practice yesterday, it looks like Coach Bates, Jeremy Bates, is trying to get the tight ends more involved in the offense. Like we're seeing a lot of catches by McCoy and Blake Ailes, Red Ellison. Uh, I mean, so there's going to be – I think it'll be an interesting year for the tight ends. It could You could see all of them catching a bunch of balls. Well, you know, I've, you've heard me talk about that all the time. Uh, if you have a great tight end, you completely open up your offense, completely open up your offense. You, you know, you can do so many things with them in drags and, and corner routes and quick outs and, and arrow routes and hey, about wide delays. And when they're blitzing against you, you know, the tight end, you, you, they recognize the blitz when the backer's going and you just drop back and dump him the ball and he runs in the open area. And, and these guys can run and they're great targets and so on. So I certainly do hope, and, uh, you know, you haven't seen them really, like Latcher, use the tight end uh, the way they should, or as much as they should, let's say. And if you go to the tight end, that certainly opens up everything else, circle routes by the back, down the middle, down the seams, to the open areas, uh, to the receivers, and so on. And, And I think that would really help the SC offense, along with, since we're talking about the passing game, I'd love to see like two or three different draws. I'd love to see two or three different screens, screen to the fullback, screen to the running back, screen to the tight end, things like that implemented into the offense too. And when you do that, man, and when you have great athletes touching the football, uh, you've got a tough job as far as defensing the Trojans. And, and I think the offensive line should be good enough to be able to pass block, to give Barkley that opportunity to throw the ball, keep the defense off balance, but you've got to run the football. You've got to be able to run the football. When you have first and three on the three-yard line, you've got to be able to line it up and blow it in. And I'll give you an example on that. Last week in the scrimmage, and I don't know how many people were at the scrimmage, on first down in the three-yard line on the first play, they ran a play-action pass to the right or to the play uh, press box side and I said oh my gosh why would you do that here's a chance to and you know I'm being critical here but I'm being honest what I'm thinking it's just my opinion I said why would you do that when you have a chance to build up a lot of confidence in your offensive line and and you know just get some push and push them off the line of scrimmage and you're playing against a pretty good defensive line over there Kennard and all these guys came back on second down ran to the left and Johnson walked into the end zone and scored well that could have been done on a first down but, uh, you know, that's a philosophy, and uh, they'll learn that. They've got to run the ball to the right. They ran a lot of their short yardage plays to the left. And another thing I saw was a lot of push, too, with the quarterback sneak. If you saw on two short yardage situations, they quarterback sneak with Barkley. So Barkley's a big quarterback, powerful legs and so on, got some push from the center and the two guards, and got their first down. So, you know, that's what I see, and I shouldn't have got off of the topic, which is receivers. <laughs> That's but, okay. But, you know, when you start talking to me, you got it's terrible. <laughs> it is. It's not terrible. Say, huh? It's not terrible, Coach. It is, because I, I got away from the tight ends. But I like McCoy. You're right. I like the passing game with the tight ends. They've got to be a blocking part of their offense. And from the blocking part of the offense, they'll block and chip off, run routes, run delays, run screens, I think they'll do a good job. It looks like Blake Ailes is going to be back, and he's going to be healthy. Ellison, McCoy, I mean, those are three pretty good ends. I keep looking for Thomas Harrison, Herring, excuse me. Thomas Herring, yeah, he's off the team now, Coach. He's off the team? Yeah, he's uh, unfortunately it just didn't work out for him. So they moved him to tight end before, but, yeah, now it came out at the beginning of fall. He's not going to be on the team. So uh, That's what I thought. Yeah. I was wondering. I said, I haven't seen you. Did you hear me say I keep looking for him? Yeah, I didn't hear that yeah. before. I would have told you, but, yeah. 
No, huh. I wish you had told me because I keep looking for him if he was going to be a tight end for him lining up, you know, and blowing out somebody on the goal line. But that won't happen. But they've got enough people that can do that. Yeah. All right. And then the uh, the last group, and we want to talk about quarterbacks. I feel this is uh, this <laughs> this is a dead horse. I mean, yeah, it's just obviously everyone's been talking about the quarterbacks. It's always a huge topic at practice. I mean, the fact that Matt Barkley was named the starter made, you know, it just every media outlet came out to cover this. Um, I mean, I, we didn't really get to get your thoughts on it, coach, but maybe you could talk about it a little bit. I mean, you've, you've had coaching experience, how much confidence you would have in a true freshman, stuff like that. And if, if you agree with the decision, what do you think overall about the, uh, the quarterback spot? Well, uh, you know, there's no question that you've got three very capable quarterbacks, and you heard me mention Garrett Green a, a moment ago, who I think is a great athlete, and I think the Trojans could even win with Garrett Green. I really believe that. He's a technician, smart, intelligent, played about three or four different positions. Uh, you know, it was, it's been Aaron Corp's job the whole way. I mean, in the spring, he won it in the spring. He led summer drills. He was the number one in the fall. And then he uh, broke his, his, his leg and bone, the fibula bone and so on, or cracked it, or I don't know what extent it was. And, you know, I really feel a lot of the decision on this was because of the healing of his leg. I really don't feel his leg is at 100%. And you hear him say it's not at 100%. And I think what that did, it, it put a, a opportunity – in Pete Carroll and Jeremy Bates's mind that, hey, if this guy is in 100%, first of all, we got to consider his safety for the future. And secondly, if he was to get in there and get hurt, Barthie would be the guy anyway. Because he was running second. So what they thought, here's a, here's a once-in-a-million opportunity to have a great player who we can bring and start and play. Yet, you know, we don't want to jeopardize Corp. Does Corp deserve to be the starter, I felt, at that time, that when he was injured? I think that if Corp was 100% healthy, he would be starting. If he hadn't been injured, he would, would be starting. And I think that they would have had an easier time of being successful if Corp was the leader, just because of the, ex the experience he's had as far as being on the road, being a part of game day. But that's not going to happen. Barkley's going to be the guy. I think they'll protect Barkley. They're going to have to protect Barkley because if I'm San Jose State, I'm going to come after him. I'm going to give him every look in the world. Dick uh, Tomei is, is a very good coach. If you remember the Desert Storm defense they had at Arizona and Hawaii, he coached well there. And he's put together a very good San Jose State program. It's not going. This this is not going to be just like a pushover football game. These guys are coming home. They have a lot of players from Southern California. They are going to mix it up on Matt, and they're going to give him every single type of stunt look and anything he'll ever see. That's why they got to keep it very simple. You might see a lot of double tight end to balance their defense out, so they can't do a lot of different things. They got to play balanced or or wing sets or so on. I know I would think of that because their defense is like a 4-2-5, which means it's almost like a third linebacker or a rover back where you stun and put him to the wide side of the field or whatever. So uh, I think he's capable. I think it's a great opportunity for him. I think I have a real uh, uh, feeling for Aaron Corp. I really do that this happened to him because – it's a terrible tragedy when, when you lose anybody, and this kid really deserved it. He's waited, been a great kid. Uh, but you can't hold that against Matt Barkley. Matt came in and screwed up everything. He was too good. <laughs> and he, you know what I mean? He came in and screwed it up. Normally, if Corp would have gotten hurt, Mustaine would be the guy. But he came in and he proved that he could play. He came in. Believing he could, could play, he came in believing he would be the starter. He studied. He wasn't intimidated. And now he has that opportunity. Will Aaron Corp play? Yeah, I really believe he'll play. I really believe that if Matt Barkley struggles at all, even in the San Jose State game, let's say at half, it's 7-6, or it's closer than that, or 
SC happens to be behind or whatever, Aaron Corp will play. I really believe that. So it's Matt's job to keep. Let's put it that way. It's Matt's job to keep. There's no guarantees. You don't say never about anything. And if something was to happen to Matt, of course, Corp would have to come in the game. Then you'd find out exactly how healthy he really is and if he should have been the starter. And that's my feeling. Wow. I mean, I, I, I definitely see Aaron Corp coming in to play. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he could come in early as the, the second half. I mean, Matt Barkley played really well in the spring. He played really well at the beginning of camp. And then when he went with the ones, I mean, he still, for a true freshman, I think he played really well. I don't know if he played, you know, he wasn't like an amazing quarterback these last couple of weeks. He's had his struggles. But for a true freshman, he's been amazing, you know. So it's, it's, it seems like he's learning from his mistakes, but uh, it's going to be a whole different deal when he has to run out of the Coliseum Tunnel for the first time. And uh, we'll see. I'm, I mean, there's so many things to watch for. I mean, definitely watch for the uh, run-pass ratio. Are they going to run it? But usually it's about 50-50. Are they going to now run it, you know, 60-40, or is it going to be uh, two-thirds, one-third kind of thing? And then, like you said, what if Barkley struggles, if he throws a couple picks or something? Because it can be a confusing defense, like you said. I mean, they can bring people up. It's, it, you know, it's almost like five defensive backs out there sometimes. There's a lot of different looks they can give you. And I think, you know, Dick Tomey, like you said, is going to try to confuse Matt Barkley. If he does struggle, how early does Corp come in? Does that ruin his confidence? Uh, Matt Barkley's confidence. I mean, there's a lot of factors to look into, Coach. It's going to be interesting to watch. It is going to be. But that's why you have to play the football game. And that's why San Jose, I want you to know, I talked to their play-by-play announcer. They're excited about coming down to this game. And, you know, they're not intimidated. You know, every year they play, you know, Pac-10 teams yearly or teams from the other conferences uh, because they need the revenue as far as to keep their program going. And this year, you know, he has 52 players back. That's the most he's ever had back at San Jose. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing just the reaction of because the first game of the year is the scariest game, Ryan, because you, first of all, don't know how your team's going to play. And secondly, you never know what to prepare for with the other team, but you really don't know what they've done in the fall camp to get ready for you. But they've had a whole fall camp to get ready for. So, uh, it's sort of scary the first game, and you've got to be ready to make adjustments and get things done uh, in order to, to win that opener. All right, Coach. Well, I think we'll all be watching, everyone out there in Peristel podcast land. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you are most likely going to be watching that game. And uh, for, I can't wait. Thursday night, Coach, we'll get to see Boise State, Oregon. Just college football being here is so exciting. It's, such, it's the best time of the year. And, uh, yeah, well, I look forward to seeing you out there on Saturday, Coach. Well, thank you very much, and I'm sorry about my dog. My dog is napping here. <laughs> I didn't have an opportunity to get any air time, so if you see me, don't worry about my dog. The dog <laughs> is just fine. Just take a little snooze, okay? We'll have to get her reaction after the uh, San Jose State game. But thanks again, Coach, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, Ryan. All right, everyone else, stay tuned. 30 seconds, we'll be back with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wykey. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in this segment by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wykey. Dan, what's up, man? You all ready for some football? I can't wait. I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, it's just right here. It's right around the corner. Can't wait. It's going to be happening soon. Um, and we do have a new uh, sponsor for this segment. I wanted to uh, thank Dan for bringing these people to my attention. And we uh, you know, thank them for coming on, on board, nationaltailgate.com. Um, they, you know, it's, a, it's a great resource if you want to do. Obviously, USC fans like doing their tailgating. I was checking out their website. It's at nationaltailgate.com, like I said. I think they have like 600 different tailgate products, and I was checking them out. Chairs, you can get 
all kinds of USC different stuff. Some of the stuff I like, I think, were the rolling, uh, the rolling tailgate, where it's like a little uh, roller bag you would take on an airplane, but you open it up, it's all full of tailgate stuff. So, uh, Dan, have you checked them out yet? Yeah, my favorite, uh, my favorite product that I saw was a, I posted this on the the Parastyle, is a seat cushion that you can fill with booze. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you can that you can bring into a stadium and, and they would never check it and you can just fill it up with drinks not that i'm advocating that you're not condoning that kind of behavior no but i thought that was i like that and like the cool thing about a lot of their stuff is that it's stuff you could use just like like there's stuff that i like that i would just want to have regardless of tailgating like you know like some of those outdoor tvs are like pretty sweet and uh i don't know a bunch of grills and stuff like that i don't know they're good guys you should i really recommend it everybody check it out Definitely. Isn't a USC guy started it too, right? Yeah, he did. Oh, that's awesome. So. Okay. Nationaltailgate.com if you guys want to check it out. All right. Uh, we have some questions for you. And if you have questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Uh, these are questions not for you. They're questions posed by you uh, for us. And we'll, Dan and I will do our best to try to answer these. Uh, first off, um, from David, he wanted to know most likely the, the future of the two quarterbacks not named the starter. That would be Aaron Corp and Mitch Mustaine. Uh, do you think one of them would be on the move? And if so, who would it more likely to be? Um, if you would have asked me that question um, three weeks ago, I would have said Mitch Mustaine was probably the more likely guy to transfer at this point. Um, but, you know, after talking to both quarterbacks and, and just kind of seeing how things are going, I, I really don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think the primary reason for that is, you know, Matt Castle, I think is the best reason. Um you know, Aaron Corp brought this up yesterday. Unfortunately, I was talking to somebody else, but I was informed of this later that, you know, he was talking about how guys who transfer typically don't, you know, it doesn't really improve their stock all that much. It's really only worked for a couple guys. He used Troy Aikman as a, as one, as an example. Um, Jevin Sneed. At, yeah, I was at, gonna um, say, Sneed would be one guy who came to mind right away. But Yeah, I mean, those are, those are the guys that, that jump out to me are guys who have transferred and it's worked out for a quarterback. Um, I think with both of those guys, really, you look at a player like Castle and, and you just see what he's been able to do and, and the contract he just signed um, just strictly by being in a pro-style offense in college for multiple years and learning that system and learning how to essentially be an NFL quarterback. It's almost like trade school. Every quarterback under Pete Carroll, um, you know, it seems like has been in the NFL. I mean, you, you, you look around the NFL right now, there are USC quarterbacks everywhere. Why would you want to leave that, um, you know, unless you don't think you've got that chance? You know, I think if Mitch Mustaine were to go, I think the best thing he could do would be to go to a one double A, AA, um, you know, so he wouldn't have to sit out so he could play right away. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen at this point. I think that he's committed to, to finishing out at USC and, uh, you know, but I could be wrong. I, I mean, you never really know what exactly they're thinking, but. I, I do feel like that USC is the best spot for them right now if it, in terms of becoming uh, an NFL quarterback. All right. Uh, next up is from Jason. He wanted to know all the injuries piling up. Where do you see the greatest weaknesses are for USC on offense and defense? And what games do you think those weaknesses could be best exploited by opponents? Wow. Um, that's a good question. I, I really think offensively, I mean, it hurts to lose Ronald Johnson. That, that's a big loss just because – he was one of only a few guys on the team who anytime he touched the ball was a threat to score a touchdown. Um, and, and that's hard to replace. I do think that that's probably the biggest loss offensively they've suffered. Um, defensively, I would, I guess I would think, you know, Shari losing Sharice right to academics d does hurt because it, it really throws their depth a little bit into flux. Um, you know, I think they're fine when it comes to a starting unit, and I think they're probably okay when it comes to, you know, the, the nickel and dime situations. But but if somebody else were to get injured, um, I really think that's where this hurts. Like if Taylor Mays were to go down or something like that, before you had the flexibility of just saying, okay, well, we'll play Pinkerton and Will Harris together, you know, and, and we'll keep Sharice at corner and Kevin Thomas at corner. We won't lose anything at corner. Well, now if that were to happen, you've got to ask yourself, well, do we want to put Drew McAllister in the starting lineup or do we want to, you know, move Pinkert back to safety from corner again and move, you know, T.J. Bryant, Brian Bauckham, Marshall Jones, one of those guys into the starting lineup at cornerback, which which would I think there is a drop off there. Certainly, that makes sense. But is there is there a particular game you think someone could exploit that 
I mean, Ohio State is, is a good one um, just because they're good. Uh, you know, it's going to be good teams. I mean, really, with injuries, it's so hard to, to pinpoint exactly when that's going to come back and, and, and hurt them. Um, but, you know, you look at the schedule and, and, you, and you see, you know, at Cal, um, I think not having Armand Armstead at Cal will be tough because he, he's so good against the run. Um, you know, and then, like I said, at, at Ohio State, I think just not having that kind of lockdown corner and, and you can kind of bring your safeties up and do some stuff against Terrell Pryor, um, I, th- I think that c- could hurt. Um, realistically, I don't think that any of their injuries are, are kind of season-threatening as far as USC's plans yet. Um, it just – all it does is it just takes one more guy off of um, the depth chart, which is, is just never good. No, and I, you make some good points there. The, the thing for me, I think Sharice Wright, you know, they, they were such a good secondary. I mean, the best in the country, I, I, I really believe. Um, having three, like, ridiculously good safeties, and they have great guys backing them up too, but three guys that were all, you know, potential type of all-American type of players. You know, Pinkert is a guy that Pete Carroll thought was the best player on his team a couple years ago. Will Harris came in, did an awesome job filling in for – Kevin Ellison, when he went down, and obviously Taylor Mays has got all those accolades. Having those three guys at safety gives you a lot of options, and I think it helped out uh, in another position at linebacker where there isn't a lot of depth. They could play a little bit more nickel putting in you know, Pinkard, uh, Harris, and Mays all in the same time with corners like Sharice Wright and Kevin Thomas. That means you've got like five you know, amazing guys in the secondary all playing at the same time, helping out a little bit with depth at linebacker. I think it just gave Pete Carroll another dimension he would feel comfortable playing uh playing nickel in run situations in some instances you know where you have like a second and short you don't mind putting in an next not second short maybe like second five second and six where maybe you wouldn't be in a nickel normally if the linebackers were banged up i think you have the opportunity to do that i think the sharice Wright uh ineligibility kind of takes away that a little bit i'm sure he can still play around some but i think that would he would feel pretty comfortable playing some nickel in non-running situation, I mean non-passing situations, than he would normally. And, and I think the other thing too with with Sharice Wright that that you know is I don't know I haven't heard it mentioned yet is now you have to start to wonder what kind of football player he's going to be when he comes back because it's going to be almost two years in a row where he hasn't played in, in games and, and you know that I think can mess with someone's head. It's really important that they keep him close right now and keep him on the right path. Um, in order to get him back and really take advantage of the skills he can bring um, to the football team, you know, if if he remains, you know, on the right path. All right. Uh, thank you to Jason for that question. Great question. And uh, Good question. yeah, our last one is from Elizabeth. You don't mind a question from a female, Dan, do you? Um, I'm all right with that. Yeah, cool. She actually specifically said, Dan kind of creeps me out. Please don't ask him, but we we didn't have time to ask Harvey Hyde, so we're going to ask you anyway, Dan. Uh-uh. Just Very kidding. Funny. Elizabeth did not say that. She's a, a loyal probably listener. Thinking it. Yeah. Probably thinking it, though. <laughs> Can read her mind. Um, so she had a question. There's a couple new NCAA rules this season, and uh, they, they featured one on SportsCenter that uh, you know, helmet-to-helmet type of contacts or it's going to be cracked down upon, and they – actually used an example of Taylor Mays. Um, and, you know, it's supposed to help with the safety of players. Obviously, that's a big priority. But they showed Taylor Mays kind of destroy this guy. I wasn't sure if it was – it didn't look really helmet to helmet, but, I mean, they kind of used it as one of the examples. So, apparently, that's illegal now. Um, she wanted to make sure that uh, – is this going to affect the way Taylor Mays hits? And is he not going to hit as hard as he normally does? And she would hate to see him get ejected. At the same time, she loves watching him compete at the college level, do you think he's going to hold himself back for fear of penalty? And was this rule written just for him? Um, I don't think it's just a Taylor Mays rule. Um, I think it's something that you saw in the NFL um, where they've tried to eliminate those helmet to helmet collisions because they really are so dangerous, Um, not just for the receiver or the ball carrier, but for the defender too. Um, There's just so much force that when you, when you hit like that, just the the shock to your neck. I mean, obviously Taylor Mays has got like an 85 inch neck, so it's not like <laughs> a huge deal for him. But like, not everybody else has that, you know. Um, I think that's one of those things too. Like, I I don't think he'll necessarily hold back. He may have to change up his tackling techniques. Um, he's still going to be a big hitter. I mean, he's got a big enough body and a big enough upper body that if he leads with his shoulders, um, that's not going to be fun for anybody who who takes that hit anyway. Um, 
He does have to be careful, though, and, and not just for fear of ejection, but just for fear of injury. Um, you know, I, I thought that last year he, he maybe had one hit that I thought was helmet-to-helmet, um, and, and it wasn't called. Uh, I do think he just needs to be careful in that regards. Um, I don't think it will affect how he plays. Yeah, for uh, Taylor Mays, too, I think a lot of times because he was back there playing free safety, he didn't get as many chances to blow people up. So when he got his shot, he really wanted to make an impact. you know. And I think you know Pete Carroll might move him around a little bit, let him roam near the line of scrimmage some more than he did last year. And if he, if he does that and he get, actually gets more plays, he's in on more running plays and stuff, then he might not be such a – I mean, it, it might not be such a big deal for him to, to blow anyone that comes up in his area. And, like, the cool thing about Taylor Mays, and, and I was talking about this, um, I believe, yesterday at practice, was that, you know, he doesn't have to kill people to be an effective presence on defense. You know, you just look at that guy back there, and teams know that he's back there. They, they're afraid to go down the field. They're afraid to throw his way because they know what can happen. Um, just his presence alone is so critical to the USC defense. And that's why it's almost, you know, more important than just to keep him healthy than, you know, to have him deliver those, you know, one or two highlight crushing hits, you know, every two weeks. And I, I think the good the point is, and if you come out and watch USC practice, you see all these receivers that look like David Osbury. I don't think that's typical. I mean, a lot of receivers you, you play against at this level look more like Trayvon Patterson. And if for, if for a guy like, you know, I love Trayvon, but for a guy like him to be, he's never seen Taylor Mays play before and he kind of, he has to run some post or something and go across the middle. Uh, you know, it's, it can be a little like, what is that guy doing back here? I mean, is it, it looks like a defensive lineman or something. So I think it can that intimidating factor can be a big part of his game. And, it, you know, part of the reason he doesn't make as many plays because people don't really come near him. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't look fun no. <laughs> uh, to do that. I, I, that's something that I don't want to experience. No, that's certainly not. All right. Well, uh, that, thanks for the questions this week. And um, it's game week, Dan. You know that. Game week. Game, game week. week. It, you know, for the fans, everyone's excited. The football's coming up. I mean, I can't wait. I was talking to Coach Harvey Hyde about the Thursday night game, Oregon, San Jose State. Big ramifications for USC. It doesn't certainly doesn't help the Pac-10. For the, you know, Everyone's going to be watching that game because no one's seen college football in so long, since January. It's, you know, it's going to be on national television, and it's going to be a great, you know, great game against two top 20 teams. I think everyone is going to be watching that. So if Oregon goes out and lays an egg, a duck egg, I guess you could say, um, nice. it, it looks bad for the Pac-10. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think it's always different when you go to Boise. I mean, it, it, it won't look good for the Pac-10, but I think people, um, smart people at least, know that that's just not an easy trip. That wouldn't be an easy trip for anybody in the conference. Um, even USC, that, that, that would be a game to, to go and play there. It's just tough. They have great fans. They've got great, 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 great tradition. They're so well coached. They get up so well for big games. Um, you know, that being said, I think if Oregon wins there, it's it's really good for the conference because of just how difficult of a trip that is. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting. I, I think that, you know, when you look at the opener for USC, people ex have a certain expectation for what's going to happen there. But, um, you know, like you mentioned, at, at Thursday night, who knows? Anything can happen. USC fans found out that last year up at uh, Corvallis. Um, but, you know, so look, so it, it would be important. I mean, the Pac-10 finished strong with 5-0 and bowl record, but they started off really weakly, and I think that hurt USC throughout the season. Um, you know, USC kind of needs Oregon to go out there and take care of business. And the rest of, you know, the the, the Cals playing, you know, all, you know, I think they play Purdue or no, Maryland. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different Pac-10 matchups, a few, I think three different ones with the SEC. So they need to come out and try and win some of those games to get the Pac-10 some respect. But look into the San Jose State game. Hold uh, on, Ryan. Can I, can I cut you off right there? Yeah. Um, I, I, have, I had a thought. Um, I hope all the contrarians on the message board are, are, are listening very carefully right now when I say this. Um, I disagree a little bit with what you just said about how the Pac-10 hurt USC. Because USC was the number one ranked team going into Oregon State. Had they won out, they would have stayed the number one team. And, and, and that's so, I mean, I understand that after that one loss, yeah, it did hurt them. But, I mean, you know, USC's fate is still in their own hands in so many ways because of the profile that they have and the tradition that they have. That if USC wins out, um, I, I have a hard time, very, very hard time believing 
that they won't be in the national championship game with no losses. No, I agree with that. I mean, no losses, it's a no brainer, but they need to be able to play on the same playing field as a Florida who, if they lose a conference game and USC loses a conference game, that it's not a clear cut Florida's ahead of USC. That's what hurt USC last year. I mean, Florida, yeah, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I, I mean that's that. that's the, the that's the main issue there. I mean, yeah, of course USC goes undefeated, they're fine. But if if USC, Florida, and Texas or Oklahoma all have one loss, does USC want to be on the outside looking in? Well, they will be if the Pac-10 goes out and lays an egg in their early preseason for sure. And they they need it just to, to have a shot at being above those teams. They need the Pac-10 to go out and win some of these out of conference games early. And that'll help everyone's rankings, and it'll help when USC plays every one of those teams. Yeah, I think Oregon, Cal, and UCLA are, are three of the most important teams to USC's fate right now. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. But anyway, the San Jose State game. That's yeah. what I wanted to uh, talk about a little bit. I mean, we talked with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde about Dick Tomey uh, being there, those Desert Swarm defenses. Obviously, it's a little bit different now, but they do have some talent. They have some defensive talent uh, you know, uh, for San Jose State, for the Spartans. I think they can kind of make Matt, you know try to confuse Matt Barkley a little bit, mix things up, and see what happens. What are your what are your overall thoughts on the San Jose State team? Um, I mean, they look they look moderately talented. Um, I think you know, and they're very well coached. I, I think there's no doubt about how just well they're coached and how prepared they're going to be. Um, one thing that Dick Tomey said uh, yesterday was that. You know, he didn't think his players would be intimidated by going into the Coliseum because, you know, last year they went into Nebraska, played well there, and, and no knock on USC fans, but it's a different, you know, Nebraska's Nebraska. And, and he felt like that was maybe a more hostile environment. Um, so, you know, I think that they're going to be players that are going to be not, not necessarily shaking um, when they walk into the Coliseum. Maybe they'll be a little, a little intimidated when they see guys like Taylor Mays. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, but you know they've got some talent. Um, they've got a very good offensive line, um, a lot of a lot of veteran returning starters, um, some good receivers that that played well last year. Um, some questions at running back, some questions at quarterback, which I think plays into USC's hands. If they can force a team to throw the ball a lot, look for Everson Griffin, Malik Jackson, Jarrell Casey, um, you know Michael Morgan. Uh, guys like that to really get to the to the pa- to the passer. Um, I think that could be a huge issue for San Jose State in this game, and it's just a major major advantage for USC. Um, you know, but you look at what they're going to do defensively. You mentioned the Desert Swarm defense. I have the feeling they're going to they're going to come right at Matt Barkley. Like, I mean, that's what I think you would do. That's what I would do if if I were coaching against USC. And that can that can play out two ways. You know, I mean, it can either get Barkley rattled or it's going to open up situations for him to make big plays through the air big plays on the ground by getting to the outside getting around the defense looking maybe some underneath routes to guys like anthony mccoy devon flournoy could have a a, a nice game here if uh if the way things shake out bryce butler these are guys that can all catch the ball in space and and really make some moves and make guys miss and then use their individual talent where where you can't scheme you know what i mean you take the scheming part out of it once you get the ball out to damian williams in the flat, you know, now it's just him against them. And, and that's a matchup he should win. No, looking at, you know, just watching practice and stuff. Um, you know, I, I feel that they're going to run the ball more. I think a lot of people do that. You know, we've talked about that in practice with different writers and stuff. And they feel like, yeah, they're probably going to run the ball, maybe 60%, you know, two thirds of the time, something like something along those lines. And we, we also saw a lot of shorter passes, a lot of tight end being involved, but, you know, if, if San Jose State comes up and challenges that and they really put eight, nine men in the box and do whatever they can to stop the run and USC is not able to outpower them when they're facing those kind of numbers, uh, I, I think that kind of defense will take away a lot of the run game. They can take away some of that short passing game and almost force Matt Barkley to throw the ball deep. Do you think Pete Carroll has confidence in him to start completing, you know, if, if they're taking away the short stuff? letting Bat- Matt Barkley open up and, and completing some of those intermediate to deep routes? I mean, I definitely think that they'll, they'll do it. Um, I've got no indication from anything that I've seen or heard that, they, that they're going to do that with Barkley, that they're going to handcuff him like that. You know, I think if a team does that, in a lot of ways, it's their funeral. Because <laughs> all, all, all it does, seriously, all it does is take one completion. You know, he's, I mean, David Osbury is going to be bigger than any cornerback he faces this year. Anybody, probably bigger than any safety he faces this year. 
You know, a good thrown ball to him deep in one-on-one coverage should be caught every time. I mean, there's Damian Williams is going to run better routes than pretty much any cornerback can cover him this entire season. And, and you know, he's a guy that can get open. Um, Bryce Butler, another just phenomenal route runner. I mean, these guys can get open, and, and I really feel like if teams want to play eight, nine guys in the box, um, USC can do some really, really scary stuff with guys like that. I mean, we you mentioned Anthony McCoy. Um, we've seen it, that, you know, that they're not afraid to go vertical with Anthony McCoy this year. They're not afraid to go vertical with Blake Ailes. I mean, these these are these are real, real vertical threats. They might not have Ronald Johnson's speed, but with their hands and the way they run the ball, a good a good pass can definitely open things up very, very much early. And, and I really think you might see that. I think you might see one or two two shots downfield early. I think they'll try to get Barkley in a rhythm first, probably with some shorter passes and stuff like that. But then as the defense creeps up, I wouldn't be shocked to see Jeremy Bates call call for something vertical. Yeah, I mean, we're all everyone's curious to see what happens with Bates and what's going on. And if the plan is definitely we got to run the ball, got to run the ball, got to run the ball, and it's it's getting stopped and everyone's coming up to the line of scrimmage, how quickly can they switch over and go, you know what, we're not going to let them just take that away. We're going to burn them and make them back off a little bit. Boom, we're going to start taking some shots down. Even though he's a true freshman, we're going to have confidence in him to drop back, find somebody open, one-on-one coverage. Like you said, it's going to be hard to cover those guys one-on-one if you are creeping everybody up and hit some big plays. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do that. I'm not sure I'm not sure if they will. Sometimes coaches will be kind of stubborn. They want to stick to the game plan, the original game plan, how much flexibility where they'll be if, if San Jose State does come out and try to do something like that. Here's another thing to consider, too, um, and I've had this conversation before, is that, um, you know, why not just let Barkley air it out in the opener? Why, why not, why not ha- like, you know what I mean? You would think that positionally and skill position-wise that, that you're exponentially better than San Jose State. So why not let him air it out? Maybe he completes a couple deep passes. Maybe he throws for three or four touchdowns. Now going into Ohio State, you know, Jim Tressel and the rest of the Buckeyes have to feel that that's a factor. No, they, have to think, yeah. they have to think that he can beat them that way. And then, you know, you go into Ohio State, and then I think maybe you, you pound the ball more. No, I think that's a really good point. And, and one thing people will realize, too, if you even watch the tapes from last year, San Jose State, it's going to be a team that they'll try whatever it takes. Like, they're not going to have any pride when it comes to, this is our defense, we're just going to do that. No, they're going to do what it takes to try to stop USC. Ohio State's a little different. They're going to do what they do because they mm-hmm. feel that they're always good enough talent-wise that they're not going to change, you know, because of whoever their opponent is. And I, th- I think it hurt them last year. We talked about that before. So, uh, yeah, if you can give them something else to think about. I, I don't know if it affects Ohio State all that much because I don't think they're going to change what they do all that much just because they're good enough in their minds to just do what they do and go from there. Yeah, no, you make, you make some good points. I, I'm very, more than anything, you know, I feel like I should be an expert because, you know, we, we see him practice every day and we, we're talking to him every day. That being said, I'm, I'm as curious as anybody to see what's going to happen on Saturday and just to see – how Barkley's going to respond to all of this to see how Jeremy Bates is going to call a game and to see, oh, it's going to be so exciting. I mean, we have our opinions because we are at practice. We watch, we talk to the players, we talk to the coaches, we see what goes on, but we're still wrong. So, I mean, the, the, you know, the, what they show us doesn't necessarily mean what they're going to do. And it's, uh, that's why it's so interesting, especially with new coaches. You know, people talk about the coaching transition and we, and a lot of us have felt that they've made an upgrade uh, on the coaching front, even though they've, they have three new coaches in there, you know, a lot of us think that there's been an upgrade. Um, uh, but I would agree. Good, yeah, but we got to wait and see what happens in the games. You know, as a, uh, I felt a little bit like the, you know, the um, special team stuff. It was a little disorganized at some of the scrimmages, and I think a lot of people said hey, everything was going great. It was awesome. You know, I was curious to see. There were some people that didn't seem to be in the right position. I don't know if it was just on the scout team or what, but we'll have to see what happens in the games. Are they going to be, you know, they're going to be snaps underneath the, the punters, you know, between the punters' legs, things like that going on. Is everyone going to be in the right spot? Are they going to get enough guys on the field to cover this punt and stuff like that? So all of that stuff will be interesting to see. And even though we're there at practice every day, we're still interested, like you said. We want to see what happens. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, you know, it's to the point now, uh, you know, talking to some players and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're sick and tired of running the same stuff over and over again. They're sick and tired of, of going up against themselves and, and just doing that. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, we're, 
the media is sick and tired of watching it. <laughs> you, you know, like we're ready. I, I mean, we're not as ready, but I'm just as excited to see another team on the field as anybody else. You know, I, I'm, I want to see how good this team is because I have a feeling they could be very, very good. Um, I just don't know. Right. Yeah, and, and I want to find out. I agree with you too, Dan. All right. Well, thanks. For, hopefully, everyone got your uh, fill of San Jose State. We'll have uh, Dan on next week. We'll have all kinds of reactions to the game and, of course, preview the Ohio State game. But, Dan, thanks for joining us. One last thing nationaltailgate.com. If you check out and, and you enter the word podcast, you get 10% off your order, which is pretty cool. Sweet. So doing that for you guys. So, awesome. Check man. it out. Nationaltailgate.com. All right, Dan, thanks very much, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, Ra. Everyone else, 30 seconds. We'll be back short break talking Gerard Martinez, USCFootball.Recruiting, the big announcement by Kyle Prater. We'll talk all about it. Stay tuned. The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Abraham, and I wanted to let you college football fans know about NationalTailgate.com, the premier one-stop shop for tailgating supplies. With over 600 products available, the guys at National Tailgate are committed to helping you build the most talked-about tailgate on campus. Don't stress about planning. At NationalTailgate.com, they make it easy. From grills to generators to games, our friends at NationalTailgate.com got it covered. As an added bonus, they're offering 10% off to Peristel podcast listeners. Just enter the code PODCAST during checkout. Once again, it's www.NationalTailgate.com, where tailgating is their business. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting in this segment with USCFootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Big news just came out. Kyle Prater, the number two player in the country, according to Rivals.com out of Illinois, picked USC. Gerard, is that you surprised at all? What's the reaction here? Not surprised. Uh, it probably was the worst kept secret um, of commitments this year thus far, but uh, definitely still huge news. Uh, definitely, you know, number two player in the country overall, number one wide receiver in the country. USC needs to have a good receiver class, and they sure started out with one. Yeah, but obviously uh, the two. You know, if you can get two wide receivers that are five star guys, Robert Woods and now Prater. I mean it. Pete Carroll's got to be pretty happy with the wide receiver class so far. Yeah, number one player in the country at the position, and then the number one player uh, overall uh, at that athletic position, which we look at Robert Woods and project him to be receiver, so you'd say he's the number one player uh, at receiver in the state of California. So you can't really do much better than that. (laughs) Who who else was in the running? I mean, I know Illinois was making a push. He's coming out of uh, Notre Dame territory as well. You would you would think that Charlie Weitz would have put up a big fight, too. They did, and they lost out. And it was uh, one of those deals where, you know, Notre Dame was able to get Manti Teoli from SC last year, and USC uh, came back this year and with a pretty big counterpunch and took him right out of Illinois, uh, Chicago area, a lot of uh, Notre Dame influence. It seemed like Charlie Weitz kind of maybe was a little bit maybe the third horse in this race. Um, you know, the, the Ron Zook and I think the Illinois staff really did a better job of recruiting um, Kyle, and it seemed like that was, for the most part, the number two choice, that there was going to be a number two choice. Um, But, yeah, I mean, definitely it's a big deal, not just for USC to get such a talented receiver. And, you know, the one thing in the press conference, which everybody who came up to the podium and talked about Kyle talked about what a great person he was. You know, his coach said, you know, he's a better person than he is a football player. His vice principal talked about how he's a role model for the community, and he's been a role model for all of his teammates and all his students there at uh, Proviso West. So you kind of get that feeling like he's an overall good character kid, comes in, low maintenance in terms of off-field issues. He's a good student. He's going to graduate in December, and that's also huge. So he's going to be available for USC next spring. So Matt Barkley is going to have a new toy. You know, we're already getting ahead of ourselves. We haven't even <laughs> seen Matt Barkley playing this first game yet, but it's kind of exciting to know that, you know, during spring ball, uh, you're going to be able to see this big 6'5", 205-pound split in come in and, uh, and and make a run, you know, for, for maybe some playing time uh, next year. Now, if people want to check them out, if you go to uscfootball.com, you can go on the recruiting page and you can see uh, videos and stuff uh, of Kyle in action. But you just said 6'5", you know, 200-something pounds. I mean, is, is he similar to guys like Dwayne Jarrett or 
uh, you know, Patrick Turner or Mike Williams, guys that USC's had in the past, those big receivers? I tend to compare him more with Patrick Turner, and a lot of people don't like that comparison because USC fans are kind of disappointed with Patrick Turner. I mean, he was the number one uh, high school receiver coming out his year, got him away from Tennessee, and came in and, and just wasn't the overwhelming dominant receiver that they had become used to with, you know, Dwayne Jarrett and Mike Williams specifically. I mean, Mike Williams was really dominant, especially just, you know, playing a very short career at USC, what he was able to do. But, you know, that – comparison always comes with context. I mean, you're not saying he's exactly like Patrick Turner. Where he's similar to Patrick Turner is in physical build, he's legitimately 6'5". I mean, this kid is really legitimately that height. And you had a lot of guys, he's 6'4", he's 6'3", he comes in, he's 6'1". This kid, you've <laughs> seen him in person, he's definitely 6'5". The most important difference between he and Patrick Turner is that Kyle Prater plays big. Kyle Prater is 6'5", and he plays like he's 6'5". And that's really been an issue with some of USC's bigger receivers in the past couple years. That was a huge issue with Turner. Turner played more like he was 6'1". Six six he played like a slot receiver. He didn't use his body. He didn't go up for balls. He didn't play physical. He was kind of a finesse receiver in a really big body. Prater's not that way. Prater's aggressive. He's assertive. He goes for the ball in traffic, and he's great up top. And the one thing, you know, you can talk about, recruiting experts and, and database rankings. The one thing that really impressed me uh, about Prater was really the, the secondhand evaluations that I got from some of the California defensive backs and defensive players who played at the Gridiron Kings 7-on-7 seven seven tournament in Orlando. They went down there. They went down there as a team, the West team, and they played against the Midwest, and they played against Kyle Prater. And to a man, the one guy that impressed them the most, all these kids, and these kids, you know, they're competitive, and they don't like to say good things about other players, especially if those other players are rated ahead of them. But Josh Shaw, uh, Dietrich Riley, uh, you know, Dylan Baxter, all these kids talk with, they all said the one guy who was legit was Kyle Prater. So that kind of that tells you a little bit of something. I mean, you're, you're getting it not only from people who have watched him and observed him from an evaluation standpoint, but you're getting it from the players who have played against him who are also very talented. Now, uh, one last thing on Prater before I – before we let you go, we'll get to some questions that users had. Um, interesting thought, you know, Matt Barkley named the starter. Wanted to see if that had any effect. And if you look at Illinois, the, the chief rival for Prater's uh, services here, you know, you got Juice Williams, who's a senior quarterback going out. But you also have a guy like Aurelius Ben, who's a, a stud young receiver. I don't know if that would have been a draw for Prater to kind of go there and be like a tandem with him. Yeah, but I think with Ben, he's, he's on his way out. I mean, he's going to probably be going to the NFL here, um, or at least he'll be eligible. So that's one of those things where it really he probably looked at Illinois and thought, you know, this is going to be some immediate playing time for me rather than playing on a team where I'm going to have great players around me. When you go with USC, there's a lot more young talent. He's going to have an opportunity with the five, you know, you've got five junior uh, receivers on that that lineup for USC right now and one of those guys Damian Williams could be a pro I think obviously with the injury to Ronald Johnson that's maybe less of a, of a, of a possibility that he'll go pro early um, but you have that opportunity to where you have some guys that are older that are going to be moving on um, but you also have the, the the potential to really surround yourself with great players and Matt Barkley being one of those guys. Matt Barkley's only freshman, so Matt Barkley's going to be there for much of Kyle Prater's career. And when Matt Barkley moves on, he's got Jesse Scroggins, who's committed to USC as one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. So, you know, with USC, I think that's the one thing that you can always fall back on if, if you're a receiver. You know you're going to have good quarterbacks. Not just the first guy, but the second-team guy, maybe even the third-team guy is going to be a good quarterback. So, you know, as a receiver, you got to have somebody get you the ball. You can be the greatest receiver in the world. And if you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't mean anything. And you know what? If you don't have an offensive line, it doesn't mean anything because your quarterback can get sacked. So he's, you know, he's looking, I think, at that. And he's also looking at going to the NFL. That was the one thing he said specifically. USC is a place that I know I'm going to get a shot to go to the next level. I love the coaches, and the coaches are really going to prepare me for the NFL. So that was another big thing for him. All right. Well, that's big, exciting news for USC fans. Just came, came down the press conference in Illinois. Kyle Prater, the uh, five-star receiver, number two player in the country, according to Rivals.com, committing to Pete Carroll and the USC Trojans. Uh, got a couple questions real quick for you, Gerard. Um, David wanted to know if, there, if, if coaches use any kind of formula to, to determine – how much weight and height a recruit can put on from high school to college? Oh, it's a big transition. And is there anyone you remember that grew like a lot more or a lot less than you thought they would making that transition 
over the summer from high school to college? I don't know if there's a formula. There may be an actual formula. I think that you're, you know, looking rudimentarily at two specific parts of the body when you're talking about, you know, how much growth potential a player has. You're looking at the shoulders. You know, does he have broad shoulders? Does he have slopey shoulders? Uh, a kid, you know, depending on his shoulders, you can kind of get a feel of, you know, what kind of frame he has. Also, you want to look at his waist. If a kid's got a small waist, then you would figure, you know, he's not really going to be able to grow that, that much more. And that's tends to be more of an issue with linemen uh, than anywhere else. I mean, you, tend, you know, you'll look at a defensive player now and again and say, okay, does he have room to grow? Really, it's more of an issue not of height, but how much bulk can a player put on? And with that bulk, can he maintain his athleticism and his agility? That tends to be the more of the question. Um, I think as a player really moved on uh, from high school and built up, I, don't, I haven't really seen anybody that's just exploded to the point where it's like, wow, I never thought he would be this big. I, a, a really recent um, addition to USC, which, you know, a player that definitely, I think, you know, he, he, he was really – he worked really well in the off season and, and kind of blew up uh, from a physical standpoint. Nobody really thought uh, would have been Devon Flournoy. Devon Flournoy came in and he was like 175 pounds, really thin, slight type player. Uh, always looked like a guy who was going to be a speed guy. He even did not expect to really gain much weight at USC. He talked about it with some of his teammates in high school, and he talked about it with me and thought, you know, I, you know that's going to be the one issue for me playing early at USC is i got to get stronger, and I just don't know how much weight I'm going to be able to gain, you know, and how quickly I'm going to be able to gain it. Well, over the summer, he went from about 175 pounds to 185 pounds, and, and now it's probably like 186 pounds, really got physically fit and get bulked up, got a lot stronger. His arms are bigger. His upper body is much bigger. And that's a guy that, you know, I think surprised a lot of people. And, and now you watch what he's doing here in fall camp and coming out of fall camp. Now he's going to get an opportunity to play a lot, probably with Ronald Johnson now. That's a kid who's definitely kind of blown up a little bit and physically, I guess, surprised people. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you, you, kind of, you kind of look at guys, especially the guys you was here uh, recruiting, they're already pretty physically fit, and they're pretty good-looking kids. Um, but, you know, down the line there's going to be kids, I think, more at the offensive line. Nick Howell was a kid that was about 255 coming out of high school, 260, and now he's, you know, in that 285, 290 range. Um, you know, is it a shock that he's that big? Not really. I guess maybe the, the only surprise with him is that he's probably the strongest football player on the team. Um, so, I mean, you go from a guy who's really an undersized offensive lineman coming in as a freshman to the strongest player on the team, that's a little bit of a surprise. And they're going to have another guy coming in here, uh, Giovanni DiPaolo, who's about 6'4", 265, another guy who's kind of an undersized lineman. And, you know, you, I know USC is looking at specifically how much weight can he put on. They looked at that with other linemen as well at the lineman camp, and they had two kids there, uh, DiPaolo being one of them. The other one, uh, oh, God, I think his name is going to escape me now. Um, kid goes to Helix High School. Uh, he's uh, I'm blanking on his name. He's a he's a center. But they were looking at both those kids, and with Apollo uh, specifically, um, they looked at him and they thought, you know what, this is a kid I think could put on a little more weight, and he'd probably still be able to maintain his athleticism. And uh, that was something that Coach Carlisle was brought in, and, and they looked at the kid and they watched him. And Pete Carroll specifically asked uh, Coach Carlisle, you know, how much weight can we put on this kid, and is he going to be able to maintain that athleticism that he shows now? All right. Well, it looks like Coach Carlisle has a big influence on that. Uh, that's interesting. Thanks, David, for that. And then the last one from Kevin, uh, kind of similar. I mean, it, it, it relates into the big news today, Kyle Prater committing. Uh, Dylan Baxter, he's committed. What uh, Do you feel he's going to be a running back or a wide receiver now that, obviously, two of the best wide receivers in the country are on the uh, verbal list for USC right now? I think he can play a lot of receiver. Um, I don't know if I'll go on a limb and say he's going to be a receiver, but I think he can play a lot of receiver. And I think right now looking at his potential, I think his upside is probably a little better at wide receiver. Um, you know, the main thing with Dylan is that he's not incredibly fast. Uh, from a game-breaking standpoint, he's not a guy who's going to break a bunch of angles. He doesn't have great top-end speed. He's quick. Um, he can do great things with his routes. He's very smooth. He's not necessarily a deep threat. So you think, and here's a guy that really is, is, is quicker than he is big, and he's quicker than he is, you know, totally fast. 
I think you want to get him in space, allow him to make moves, allow him to do things. He kind of reminds me a little maybe of Peter Warwick in that way. Peter Warwick wasn't a guy that was really a burner, had a really bad 40 time at the NFL Combine. Um, you know, I've you know, there's been some comparisons to Heinz Ward that comes from Brian Bonifee, one of our uh, recruiting contributors. He he kind of feels like maybe that's that's a good comparison with him. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think receivers probably the position he has the most potential at. Um, but just to lock him in there and say he's going to be a receiver and only play receiver, it's tough to know. I think you got to get him in the camp and see what he can do uh, from a running back standpoint. Uh, but I think that's probably where his skills are probably the most impressive right now is that wide receiver. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks very much, and thanks for uh, letting us know about the uh, information. great information for USC fans, Kyle Prater to USC. Well, uh, we'll talk to you next week after, you know, it's, it's game time now. Recruiting will kind of heat up a little bit. We'll get some official visits. We'll be able to talk a lot more different interesting things. Recruiting will heat up. Has recruiting ever cooled down? No, never <laughs> does. It's always going on, always. But uh, it, it is a lot more fun. High school games are starting, so you'll be, you'll be heading out to Crenshaw this weekend, right? Yeah, we'll be going to Crenshaw, and uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that game turns out. There's a lot of blue-chip athletes in that game. You've got Hayes Pollard. Uh, you've got, uh, obviously, the Lakewood boys. Um, they're they're going to be playing with Scroggins and, and Deion Bailey and, uh, you know, maybe one of the best juniors in the country uh, playing for Crenshaw and DeAnthony Thomas, the Black Mamba. So uh, <laughs> we've been watching DeAnthony for a long time, and, uh, this is kind of going to be the year where we got to see if he's going to be that national talent that everybody thinks he's going to be. All right. Well, enjoy that game, and then enjoy all the college football this weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Cool. All right, Gerard, thanks very much. Everyone else, thank you for tuning in. Check in, peristylepodcast.com. We'll be back next week. Reaction from the San Jose State game, more recruiting, all that next week on the podcast, so stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.